welcome back to yet another episode of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens. And you can find my movie reviews and interviews in the U.S. and abroad 24-7 in print and online in numerous publications and outlets, including BehindTheLensOnline.net. But every Monday, you're going to find me right here. 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on AdrenalineRadio.com. And if you're listening uh, and, you're near, and you're streaming on your computer, you can always go to the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook page and we are streaming live because Big Boss Nick likes to play with toys. So, And, and sound engineer Pam, Pam is in the booth nodding her head up and down on that one. Plus... If you're watching on the, on the Facebook live stream, you'll also see some handy-dandy cool swag that I picked up this weekend, courtesy of the 10th Annual TCM Classic Film Festival. For those our regular listeners and our classic film fans, last, uh, last week you heard uh, my special guests, uh, Kelly Pratt, Aurora Desmond, uh, Kristen Lopez and Paula Guthat and, and my classic movie Maven Pals and we did a pre-festival overview of TCM Film Fest which just concluded yesterday and I have to say it was a, celebra- a celebration every step of the way absolutely phenomenal festival great guests great films opening night kicked off with when Harry met the 30th anniversary of When Harry Met Sally and Meg Ryan, Billy Crystal, and Rob Reiner were all there. They were on the carpet. Meg did not do interviews on the carpet. Billy did a few. Rob did a few. Uh, but they were there, and then they did a lengthy Q&A with Ben Mankiewicz uh, at the time of the screening in the big Chinese theater. And everybody was very excited about that. But sellout crowds waiting lines, um, and the new, uh, the American Legion Post 43 this year, which millions of dollars just went into its restoration. And that quickly became a festival favorite locale for screenings. I got to tell you, um, it's beautifully redone. The remodeling is spectacular. The sound system is wonderful. And it's a great addition to uh, a venue for the TCM Classic Film Festival. And this was a big, big year uh, because not only is it the 10th anniversary of the festival, the 25th anniversary of TCM, which was actually yesterday, April the 14th. So to have this whole big weekend come together, TCM really did it upright. Uh, the fans were excited. All of the talent was excited who appeared and Thursday night's red carpet was outstanding. Um, all of my interviews, but for two, are currently up online on YouTube, Elias Entertainment, Behind the Lens, also on BehindTheLensOnline.net, and the, the video interviews will be out in other places as the week progresses. But I wanted to get them all out there, uh, a lot of them for the TCM fans who were in movies, and they couldn't see, the, and they weren't on the carpet, so they didn't get the benefit of the interviews. But I am so thrilled, and I, I have to give a huge shout-out to Ginsburg Libby and all the work they did in shepherding great talent my way. I can say right now, my favorite interviews, Dan Loria, classic film, uh, film fan. He actually lectures. You, most of you know Dan from The Wonder Years. And then many, many, many other TV and movie appearances um, but he lectures uh, at USC on classic film, and particularly noir. That's that's big with him. And great interview with Dan. Ron Perlman, Hellboy himself, the real one. Okay, the new one that's out now, it's not Ron, doesn't count. There's only one Hellboy, and that's Ron Perlman. And Ron has moved into the producing genre the past few years. Um and he's he's really getting behind some wonderful projects. And we went in length about those projects, but also about his love of classic film. Uh, he has, uh, you know, it's amazing. And you talk to somebody like Dan, you talk to somebody like Ron. And what is so fabulous is that they know the history that came before them. They have built uh, their careers. 
They have studied the people that came before, the filmmakers that came before. And it's wonderful to see that. And for them, along with people like legend Diane Baker, to try and impart that wisdom and that kind of technique and learning from history on up-and-coming filmmakers and actors. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, but, of course, I have to say one of my most... Uh, the One interview I'm mo- I was most excited about was actually Rob Marshall. Uh, Rob and I, we've been trying to do an interview, uh, sit down one-on-one for a number of years, logistically. Publicist and I, we just couldn't make it work until the carpet Thursday night. So uh, we were in our element talking about MGM, Hollywood musicals, and uh, also he reflected on Mary Poppins Returns and some of the other films he's done and the magic of classic film and how it's influenced him. Uh, Plus, he also talked about The Sound of Music, which he was going to be introducing during the festival at Legion 43. So uh, just an incredible, incredible, incredible weekend. And, of course, Billy Crystal got his hand in footprints, uh, including Mike Wazowski's footprint, uh, in the cement at the Chinese Theater on Friday morning. And if that wasn't a ton of fun with Rob Reiner uh, doing the introduction of Billy Crystal and then Billy Crystal being Billy Crystal, uh, it's ma- it's fantastic. And uh, actually, uh, I've got photos from uh, that already up on Twitter, on Facebook, and the actual video. Uh, is being cut, and that'll be up hopefully sometime this week. So for those that did, weren't there, again, if you just want to see it because it's a lot of fun, it'll all be available for you to see on BehindTheLensOnline.net and uh, also on Twitter, BTL Radio Show, or Twitter, Movie Shark D, or Facebook, Behind the Lens, or me, Debbie Lynn Elias. You can hunt it all down. There's a ton of coverage from the weekend that I've got up there for all the classic film fans. But enough about the past. Well, let's not say enough about the past because I've got two special guests calling in today about two films that are all about the past. Uh, First up today is uh, writer-director Tim Disney. I am very thrilled to have Tim uh, joining me today uh, with his film, William. I am well familiar with Tim's previous work as a producer. Uh, Back in 2007, The Price of Sugar, written and directed by Bill Haney, uh, Tim Disney was the producer. Uh, The Last Mountain, written and directed again by Bill Haney with Tim as the producer. Uh, And I did complete interviews with Bill, with talent, including Robert F. Kennedy Jr. uh, on The Lost Mountain. He is known as a documentary producer. Tim is known for doing environmental and socially conscious documentaries. Uh, so to see him step into a narrative genre, a narrative film, a feature film at that, is really exciting. And what he has here is an original concept that really it's a discussion on the premise starts with a discussion on why Neanderthals died out and Homo sapiens survived. Both are within the genus of Homo in the, in the history of man. Both groups coexisted together, but what happened? And that idea comes from the story premise that a Neanderthal with intact flesh was found in a bog. And in anthropology when, and archaeology, when you find... Uh, and there's a lot of this in the news right now about new discoveries, a new kind of, of humanoid that was just discovered, I believe, in, in the Philippines. Then w- there was the mammoth with skin intact, um, with viable DNA. And it's when animals, uh, people, they are trapped in these bogs because of the oxygen content and everything that is there, it kind of encases them. And it helps in the preservation process. So there's been a lot of talk of late about maybe cloning a mammoth or cloning other things. But what Tim does with this film, William, um, essentially clone a Neanderthal. And what's very fascinating, I can't wait to talk to him about it, is the process that um, he writes about within the film. 
It's a process that was used on an antelope that had become extinct back in the 1930s, and they extracted DNA from this extinct species and injected it into the nucleus of a similar living species. That's what they do in the film. They take Neanderthal DNA, implant it into the nucleus of an embryo, and implant that in a doctor slash scientist to see what happens when a Neanderthal is born in the 21st century. Is he smarter? Is he better? Uh, these are all great philosophical questions that get posited. Uh, the, an amazing cast is in this film. Beth Grant, Paul Guilfoyle, introducing Will Britton, who plays our teenage uh, Neanderthal William. Uh, he is amazing, amazing. There's some beautiful cinematography. So I'm very excited that we're going to go back in time with Tim Disney and talk about the development and making of William. And then at the half hour mark, I am tickled to death. He's been here before. I adore this man as a producer. Um, Ken Petrie is back with us. You may have remembered him from a couple years ago. Uh, he was on the show with, with uh, writer-director Gabriel Robertson about their short film, The Gift. And Ken loves telling stories based on the real world, based on true stories. He adapts them in narrative form. Uh, and he did that with The Gift, which was the story of how the king of rock and roll got his very first guitar. Uh, it is it's still, if you can find it anywhere, get it, see it. It is charming. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've gone to it and watched it just because it is so beautifully done. And it's one of those films, you're not tied up for 90 minutes. You're tied up for maybe 25 minutes, a half an hour, and you're enchanted the entire time. Well, now Ken brings us a feature narrative film. Uh, called The Enemy Within, and it is based on what has come to be known as the Nihau Incident that happened in 1941, right after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. True story, a Japanese pilot, uh, I can't pronounce it, my Japanese is not good, people, so I will mess up his name, uh, Nishikaichi, uh, real pilot, he was a zero pilot, he was part of the bombing raid on Pearl Harbor, on Pearl Harbor, And uh, the Japanese flyers had, aviators had instructions. If anything happened, you know, you had to land, crash land, something wrong with the plane, you get hit, you got to come down, go to this small Hawaiian island of Nihau. And that is where he crashed. The islanders rescued him, saved him, took care of him, took care of his injuries. And then they found out that he was Japanese. And, they, and he had just bombed Pearl Harbor. And what results is a fascinating story of cultural conflicts, uh, differences, uh, again, more philosophical thought and discussion on right and wrong. And it is actually because of this particular incident, it was one of the factors that led to FDR considering uh, the whole idea of internment, Japanese internments. So to see this unfold is another really interesting look at history. Uh, so I'm very excited, very anxious to talk to Ken again. He, I always love talking to him. So we've got two great, great, great guys calling in. And Tim should be calling in first shortly. Why don't we take a break right now, Pam? And we will be right back. Hi, it's Olivia Munn with my shelter pets, Frankie and Chance. Say hi, guys. When I adopted them, I discovered that they both have incredible personalities. Chance's sole purpose in life is to love and to be loved. Frankie is a little bit of a scoundrel and always entertaining. They're a little bit of a lot of things, but they're all pure love. Adopt Pure Love at theshelterpetproject.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the Humane Society of the United States, and Maddie's Fund. A powerful threat calls for a greater response. Not tomorrow. 
Not in a few years, but right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day, and you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. Hi, this is Carl Edwards here for RAD, the entertainment industry's voice for road safety. Do you want to make a difference? It's simple. Be responsible. Plan ahead. Designate before you celebrate. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Judy with the Tax Facts Street Team talking to Ray. A while back, someone stole my wallet. I called about my credit cards, but what about my Social Security card? With identity theft, victims usually know to close accounts and let the credit reporting bureaus know. But someone can also use your ID to get a job fraudulently or to file a bogus tax return. To be safe, don't carry your Social Security card with you. And if you find out someone is using your identity for fraudulent tax or employment purposes, let the IRS know right away. For more, go to irs.gov. When you purchase the latest TV, tablet, or smartphone, don't forget to do the right thing with your old ones. Recycle them. The Consumer Electronics Association and its members are making recycling your old devices as easy as buying new ones. Just go to greenergadgets.org, type in your zip code, and you'll instantly find the recycling location closest to your home. You'll also find recycling tips, like asking the store where you buy your new TV if they'll haul away your old one. Don't let your old tech tools clog your local landfill. Just visit greenergadgets.org. Energy Efficiency Interviews are brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Matthew, you know energy-saving light bulbs last six times longer than that old bulb in your lamp. Uh, yeah, well, I don't even live here. Matthew, dinner's ready. I never met that woman. It's your favorite, Matt. Lasagna. Uh, don't you people knock? Just give me the energy saver. Millions of kids are using their energy wisely. What's your excuse? Learn more at LoseYourExcuse.gov. And we are back. Trying to reach out to our publicist and find out where Tim Disney is. Um, I do have a great interview with the writer-director of The Mustang, which expanded even wider this week. Uh, but I just know if we start with that, with Laura's, uh, with our my interview with Laura, I just know, I just know. What do you think, Pam? Should we, should we, should we go with, should we go with Laura's interview, and see what happens? Okay. Well, the other week you heard Matthias Schoenarts, who stars in the Mustang, uh, a very intense film. It's a very interesting film, fascinating film that actually is premised upon the Wild Horse Inmate Program here in the United States uh, where they take prisoners and they actually have them learn to work with the wild stallions that that run in the deserts uh, of the United States. This doesn't happen anywhere else. Uh, And it's an amazing story, and you really get to see the synergy as man and beast intersect and the similarities and the feeling of being caged and wanting to be free. A lot of metaphor, a lot of great stuff. So in addition to Matthias, I spoke with writer-director Laura de Claremont Tonnere. So why don't we start this interview? We'll take a listen to this and when Tim calls, we'll interrupt it. So here it is, the Mustang. So what's a nice girl like you doing, doing a movie that has a bunch of wild Mustangs and horses in it? I know, it's weird, no? What? <laughs> I love this film. Thank you. It is incredible. The emotional resonance, the whole idea of second chances and redemption and anger, not to mention showcasing the Wild Horse Inmate Program. So to see a light being shined on this now is fabulous. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Thank you. You It makes me happy. Where did the whole idea... How did you find out about this program? Because there are so many therapeutic animal programs out there for people with disabilities, for, you know, juvenile offenders, things like that. But these are hardcore prisoners, and it's wild horses 
that are no really the Mustang runs are only in the United States. So I'm curious, how did this story come come about for you? Yeah, I know it's like <laughs> it's uh, so I, 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 I before I used to live in Paris, and uh, I read this article about animal therapy and got very intrigued by those odd pairings between small animals and men. It was in a French prison, and uh, I, I went there, I followed the therapists who were entrusting those animals to, to men, and I was like, this is fascinating. There's something about this beauty and very poetic um, little creatures uh, uh, and, and connecting with those men and helping them to open themselves in this very aggressive environment. Mm-hmm. There's this contrast, like visual, moral narrative that I felt was very... Um, uh, exciting to explore so I wrote Rabbit, my short film that I mm-hmm. shot in New York and I did it in New York because I was start. I, I did start direct my first short film in New York so I wanted to work with the same crew so I did it in Rikers Island and after researching more about the subject I found this prison with wild horse uh, in, in Nevada I was like this is the future film so from reading an article in Paris, I ended up researching in the Venom for four years. And stopping at Rikers Island in between. In between, just, you know, just for a little fun and then going to, to Nevada. I have to say that there's, I mean, obviously I'm not a man, I'm not uh, 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 violent, I'm not uh, American, I've never been in prison, but there's something very uh, um, important for me to explore personally. Mm-hmm. There's something that resonates inside me as um, uh, um, uh, that's unresolved, and I needed to explore something hidden inside mm-hmm. inside my my uh, my my soul, you know, kind of dig into something that I felt very very intriguing. Um, uh, and yes, I I got so passionate about the story, and also because the horses and the man confined in a small environment, trying to build trust and respect, uh, teaching, I mean, mirroring each other's journey. I thought it was so beautiful to, to observe and all those silent dialogues, all those, um, um, this dance, you know, mm-hmm. until they finally found the right um, balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, visually and cinematically, I mean, cinematically, there's so oh, much to Cinematically, show. you have this... You and Ruben just so beautifully have put this together. And the whole idea of you open with the, with the Mustangs free, just running mm-hmm. and running. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to Roman, who's sitting there with a psychiatrist, and it's dark and it's cloistered. And then we see one poor horse who's in a metal shed with... No windows, just slits. And right away you establish that allegory, that metaphor, that they are really one and the same. They're the same character. Yeah. Yeah. They're the same character. And they recognize the same symptoms of fear and anxiety. Mm-hmm. They also recognize that they've been through brutality. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they recognize that they both need love and mm-hmm. connection. And that's actually, I mean, the man in the eyes of the horse knows that they're they are the same, you know, character, and also the horse helps him to tell him who he is. Yeah. And uh, and there's like there's so much beauty in poetry about this silent connection, without words, without yeah. judgment, just pure pure observation, pure uh, learning, patience, mm-hmm. uh, humbling, so humbling for a man to be in front of this huge creature, very. I mean, they can be very dangerous. A horse, a, a, a scared horse, can be extremely dangerous, and 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 uh, and, uh, and an angry man too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just both together, you're like, whoa, that can be a volcano, and uh, and and they have just to tame this rage and this and uh, and try to build this wonderful, you know, connection. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see some men. Uh, one of them told me, like, I, I reconnected with a little kid inside me, the, the, the young boy that I neglected, mm-hmm. that the horse resurrected. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, whoa, that's, that's beautiful. Well, and little boys always want to ride ponies. They always <laughs> want to ride ponies. 
I think that stays inside them. Absolutely. And there's also something so humbling that they want to start over and they're like, oh, it felt like this connection repaired their, their soul and they want to, okay, I, now I feel like I'm, I'm ready to start over again and to, and to get my second chance. Okay, so that is part Part of the interview on the Mustang with writer-director Laura de Clermont-Tonnerre. And right now, yes, he has appeared. We have welcome Tim Disney to Behind the Lens. Thank you. Great, great to be here. I am thrilled to have you, Tim. As I was telling the listeners at the top of the show, I have been a big fan of your work for a while. Uh, with The Price of Sugar and Lost Mountain, I interviewed Bill Haney on both of those. Uh, yes, he's the producer of this movie and my partner in all these films. Well, I have to say, the whole concept of William, I did the setup earlier in the show, so original, and it couldn't be more, the film couldn't be more timely, given all the news that's been out recently about uh, the new humanoid that was just discovered in the Philippines, the mammoth that had viable tissue, and they're talking about, you know, possibly cloning a mammoth now. And so we see science coming to life in William, but with great philosophical thought, discussion, and beautiful heart is what well, thank you. You, took, that. you took this beyond anything clinical and you really made it embraceable and give the character of William, played beautifully by Will Britton. Uh, where did you find Will? Uh, I mean, he is... His body, his stature, um, he really embraces that whole the Neanderthal stance and look that we've all become so familiar with through drawings over the years. Uh, he's a wonderful young actor. You know, we searched uh, uh, for someone who could do that part. It was a very difficult thing because we wanted a good actor first and foremost, but we also had to find somebody who had, you know, the physical traits to, to be believable to really sell it. Uh, and then Will, um, you know, he really created a lot of the really subtle little quirks and mannerisms and uh, the way he walks and carries his shoulders, all of that. We didn't want to overplay that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a matter of just indicating little differences, uh, and but keeping it all, you know, restrained and, and believable. And something that he that he also does consistently that I thought it just adds so much when studying to take, you know, SATs or college or whatever exams he was taking, um, and he would calmly debate, well, yes, I know this is what they want me to say, but no, this is not actually how it is. And he would do this reasoning, a reasoned argument that you really could not dispute if you listened to it. And he would always tilt his head a little when, when he would talk about that, when he would say, that's what they want me to say, but that's not. And he'd have this little tilt in his head that, you know, I just found so engaging that really showed the thought processes and you were really letting us decide for ourselves, is it true that Neanderthals were actually the smarter or the better between the Homo yeah. sapiens? Uh, well, it was an interesting challenge as the, uh, to writing it with my... With my uh, uh, writing pal J.T. Allen, mm-hmm. my co-writer in this project, that we knew that he needed to have a cognitive difference. He needed right. to think differently than us. To, to be just as intelligent, maybe more so, uh, but to think differently. And how do we think of thinking differently with our own brains? It's sort of a unsolvable task. You know, it's an oxymoron. Um, and so at first we started uh, with someone who was kind of a blank slate because we didn't know what that would be. Right. Um, and that was a useful place to start. And then as the story developed, it became clear what that what that should be. And it kind of just took on a life of its own. Yeah, I mean, it's so beautifully done. I'm curious, Tim, you know, how much research did you and JT do just for the writing process here? Because you get into the, into the bog bodies. Uh, you get it, You go through the whole cloning process. It's all scientifically accurate. Yeah, we 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 did a lot of research. Uh, you know, we wanted the science to be uh, plausible and uh, as accurate as it could be, but we didn't want it to overwhelm the movie because it mm-hmm. isn't really about that so much. It's much more of a 
you know, personal story and a family drama and uh, a contemplation of, you know, what it means to be human, uh, how we treat people who are different, uh, all of that stuff. But the science is interesting, too. And, and as you say, we live in a time where these are um, issues that we need to think about. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we don't have ethics around these things. Uh, yeah. And we can't just decide what they are. You know, we can't appoint anyone to decide on our behalf. Ethics are something that just arise organically out of a culture. Mm-hmm. And, and so we need to start having these conversations so that we can, as you know, as a civilization, um, think about what those ethics ought to be. And you, and you, very, you present both sides of the coin here. Uh, you do a beautiful job with presenting both sides of the coin. So no matter what, you know, what your thinking may be, what you may be predisposed to, you have something for everybody to latch on to and to then contemplate the the opposing side. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I, I think that's apparent in the, in, in the parent-child relationship mm-hmm. to the, the mom and the dad and their different ways of uh, approaching parenting and their disagreements about that. You know, I had two teenage sons when I started working on this script, and so I was, <laughs> I was living it. I was living it, and uh, somebody said to me recently, what teenage boy does not feel like a Neanderthal? I think that's probably true. Well, it definitely aided, aided you here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I've got, you have, you do, you do something so well with this film. Your two uh, cinematographers, Graham and Nelson Talbot, twin brothers, um, you have great restraint with your cinematography. There's simplicity to it. But then you also latch on to nature. And you really ground us and the idea of the Neanderthal in, quote-unquote, uncivilized times. And some of the imagery that that, uh, Graham and Nelson have come up with that you have in here is stunning, absolutely stunning. Thank you. Yes, the um, the brothers, as they call them, um, are super talented, and they're young guys. We took a little bit of a chance on them. They uh, didn't have a a big resume when we decided to work together, uh, and I, I I feel so lucky to have come across them. They're just wonderful to work with. You can imagine that two people doing that job might not work out well if right. they're not really in sync, but they, uh, they, kind, they kind of combine into a super person, <laughs> and you get so much more work out of that role because there are two of them, and they're, and they're just completely aligned. It's wonderful. We, we tried to be very restrained about uh, the camera work. You know, we didn't want to do the, you know, the sort of moving camera thing that is so common now. We wanted it to feel um, that William was always being observed. Mm-hmm. We tried to photograph him as much as possible through glass, uh, like he was an object of study. Um, and then we tried to also take advantage of the, the Vancouver landscape. It's just so beautiful. Oh. And there's a, some kind of metaphysical harmony there, or something that's calling on him. It's like a character itself in the story. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it's so beautifully done. And, and kudos to you on the production design with, you know, finding the one house that is, you know, all windowed, all glass. So yeah. it is like he's in a fishbowl, much like when he was in a laboratory in the early, in his youth, before his mother took him out yeah, of there. Exactly. Um, exactly. And you yeah, can't... Everybody comments on that house, like, I, I really want to live in that house. It's amazing. It's it's a stunning house, but it serves so well because, and the fact that it is his father's house, and he is the one who wants to keep William in a fishbowl and study mm-hmm. him. So it fits so beautifully with the character and with the storyline. And thank you. And you contrast it beautifully with the mother's house, with Barbara's house, um, a small apartment. It's cozy. It's warm. There's just one window off in the bedroom, you know, windows in the door. But other than that, uh, you know, it's decorated with woods and solid walls so that he is sheltered. He is protected. Yes, and, you know, she she wants to keep him safe, and she literally takes him to an island, you know, away from the world. And uh, while I think the, the father character is, is, is difficult, he's a difficult personality, I think he has 
a point of view that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know that that uh, as much as his mom loves him and wants the best for him, you know maybe her uh, helicopter mom strategy is isn't maybe the best thing for him. So I think that there's there's a dialectic there that's very important mm-hmm. and probably pl- present. You know, in many homes. Yeah. Oh. Many people's families. Oh, yeah, you can definitely see. It's a typical, it really is very typical of so many homes, so many parenting styles, the fracture that results because of the different parenting uh, wants. Um, So, I mean, it really, you've got touchstones here that people can latch onto and connect with while looking at at the broader picture and also that... It's not a Neanderthal growing up is not that much different than just a plain old 21st century Homo sapiens. Yes, yes, I think that's that's true. No, and I'm not going to give it away, but your third act, your ending, fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. You take it to the next level. Thank you very much. It was very hard to. Uh, it was a tricky story to tell because. You know, we literally have a Neanderthal doing Gilbert and Sullivan. So, yeah. You know, it could, it could have been ridiculous, uh, and um, we tried very hard to take the characters seriously mm-hmm. uh, in all cases. So I think that's kind of the core of the idea is to take kind of a, an, an outlandish scenario um, but play it very straight and earnestly. Yeah. And, and I think that contributes to the kind of the feeling of um, strangeness or dislocation or uh, alienation or something. Something's going on with that that um, uh, enriches that character and enriches the story. It really does. You know, unfortunately, Tim, we are out of time. I have to move on to my next guest. Um, okay. God, I would love to talk to you more, talk to you again about this film, because there's so much in this film that is worth discussing. Um, I would, I'd love to have uh, the gals at Big Time set something else up for us off, you know, okay. off air. That would be great. I, and I'm sorry I was late to call in. I think we had a little miscommunication about the time. But thanks for accommodating me. And if you would like to carry on, I would love that. Oh, I would love it, Tim. And I definitely want to get you back on the show again with another film. Uh, I, I really want to make another one. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so Thank much, you. I really Tim. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. And that was Tim Disney talking William. And now, the ever-patient and wonderful and marvelous Ken Petrie is with us. Hello, Ken. Hi, Debbie. How are you? I am so, so happy to talk to you. Wow. It's been a, it's been a while, but hello again. <laughs> oh, it's been a while, but considering what I watched with The Enemy Within, it's well worth the wait. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed the movie. What? Very kind of you. have this great knack. You did this with the gift. You took a piece of history and you told a charming narrative story. You take another big piece of history that a lot of people don't know about and you bring it to life and give it context. And it's so timely in today's world. So timely in yeah. today's world. So um, I know you started this project some time ago. So um, obviously the movie gods, the stars aligned so that it would be done now. So people can see it and really have, I think, a better understanding of this chapter from 1941. uh, Looking through the lens of 2019. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, the journey started. Well, as you say, the last time I think we, we spoke properly was after the gift. Uh-huh. And um, this is essentially the next film that I made, you know, mm-hmm. I produced and uh, worked again with um, incredibly talented fellow Scott, uh, writer, director, Gabriel Robertson. Mm-hmm. And, you know, off the, off the back of the momentum and the success of the gift, you've got to go and make a debut feature, right? Of so, course you do. Uh, and and this is how we ended up, you know, kind of discovering the the Niihau incident, as it's known, and just that kind of moment in history. So, yeah, it's just, as you say, it's a kind of fascinating um, just moment in time and, mm-hmm. and kind of 
exploring, you know, the immediate aftermath of um, the attack on Pearl Harbor and, you know, this solitary Japanese fighter pilot who is on his way home ultimately and he crash lands on the tiny Hawaiian island of Niihau and, you know, is kind of saved from the wreckage by the by some of the islanders and patched back to health and everybody sort of, you know, does the decent thing and, and you know, is very human about it, sort of saving his life and, and helping him kind of recuperate. But then obviously, you know, the political tensions of the world at the time, which, you know, and some of the racial tensions, which obviously still exist today, mm-hmm. um, influence what, you know, how people kind of reacted moving moving forward after they heard, you know, heard the news that there had been an attack on Pearl Harbor. So, you know, I think everybody uh, wanted to try and do what they felt was right by people, whether that was try and get the pilot off the island and back to Japan, or whether that was kind of protecting, you know, quote unquote, protecting the island and, and sort of, you know, keeping the pilot, uh, you know, kind of incarcerated until they could figure out what to do. But it's it's this fascinating human story, and you know, set in this really interesting and intense moment in time. And like you say, I don't I don't know that it's that well known a story out with the Hawaiian Islands. So that was another reason we wanted to tell it. You know, it's fascinating, and there's so many parallels between uh, exactly as you say as well, Debbie. You know, between um, modern day and and 1941. It's just you know when you find a story like this. I personally find it difficult to kind of not tell that story. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so working with um, Gabriel was keen to tell it as well. So off we went on our merry journey to try and bring it to, you know, bring it to the big screen. Well, and the minute that I saw the movie, I'm like, wait a minute. I, I, I don't know this part of World War II. I had to go and research it just because I'm very anal that way. Um, whenever I see a film that's based on a true event or I hear about a true something and I don't know about it, I have to. It's just in my DNA. I have to go read about it and learn more about it. And kudos to you and Gabriel because the authenticity, having seen the film and then researching the incident and the people and the players and what was involved, you really... You stuck to the truth here. You really did. And yeah, I think we, you want to, right, as much as you can within the context of making a film. Um, you you know, it's a true story, so you want that truth to come out in, in the movie. And, you know, it was difficult to... Um, to kind of do some of that or stay... Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you try as much as you can. You know, we had, um, I think we had five cultural, or, or five cultural advisors and consultants on the movie, ultimately. Wow. Um, you know, we had uh, one of the, a, a gentleman who's directly related to two of the characters in the movie and is, you know, kind of bloodline from, from those people. Mm-hmm. Uh, another Hawaiian language consultant, a Hawaiian cultural advisor, then a Japanese language advisor and a Japanese cultural advisor. So, you know, I think you you just want to get that truth on screen as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm glad I'm glad it connected with you. And you know, I'm the same. I'm a I'm a kind of real research kind of person that I hear a little story. And uh, I was watching a TV show that's in the UK here last night called Victoria, and my mind went wandering off somewhere, and I started googling these kind of aristocrats yes. from, uh, <laughs> you know, the 18th and 19th century. You just kind of, it's fascinating. These are real people. This is a real thing. It really happened. And, you know, hopefully we're getting that that part of history out there. Well, and you definitely are with Enemy Within. You know, I've got to ask, you bring Peter back as your cinematographer. And, yep. I mean, you know I'm a big fan of his work and the beautiful lensing that he did with The Gift. Here again, you've got this beautiful tropical setting. You have this beautiful ocean. Everything looks beautiful, which I love because it's a great dichotomy, uh, juxtaposition against, you know, the tension and the darkness of what's unfolding within the human condition, actually. 
Um, but right. because this is set in 1941, because of Nihau itself, there's no electricity there. Everything's by, by sunlight, moonlight, or candlelight. Um, so did, what kind of challenges were presented for you uh, as a filmmaker to, you know, make sure that this, you know, did you bring in additional lighting? Did You know, what did you do logistically working with Peter and Gabriel to really sure. embrace um, the idea of no electricity, no this, no that, true island living? Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, that was one of Gabriel's um, real feelings from early on. It was kind of, you know, again, we're trying to show a, a truthful environment. And Peter obviously thought it was going to be a challenge because, you know, that normally you could cheat all that kind of stuff and, you know, rig studio lights and all that sort of stuff. But I think it became a fun part of the challenge mm-hmm. because it's so different shooting that kind of the island-like story where it's candlelight and it's natural light. And, you know, obviously we did have, um, you know, a lighting kit on set and right. um, a great gaffer, Joe, who's the guy that, um, Joe Grimaldi, who uh, Peter's worked with before in, in New York. And, you know, Peter's done some big shows, Breaking Bad and all that sort of stuff. You know, those guys get big So obviously we had some some lights and some technology to help. But again, I think it felt very honest and truthful to do as much as we could with, you know, reflectors or, uh, you know, flame flicker, flicker effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was lit by firelight or candlelight. Those, you know, those um, cuckoo nut torches you see in the background of, um, a lot of the scenes and stuff in the village and, and, and what have you. So, yeah, it was a challenge, but I think it looks incredible here. You know, I'm a massive fan of Peter's as well. It just makes everything is just beautifully composed. Oh, yeah. Incredibly well thought through and then just executed and delivered to, you know, the, the highest level. Um, but I think it, you're right, it kind of juxtaposes juxtap- I'm trying to say it creates a juxtaposition <laughs> of the story, and uh, you know it's it looks beautiful and it looks like a simple island life when mm-hmm. there are all these complex issues and um, like you say, kind of differing opinions and different themes in the human dynamic. So I think it it is a kind of beautiful kind of contrast. Yeah, um, uh, it's also nice to. Look at a beautiful frame, right? So uh, I think it's uh, the greenery is so gorgeous, the ocean is so gorgeous, uh, you know, and even your night shots, and even some of the shots that were shot within huts, beautifully mm-hmm. composed. And I love how Peter really made the most of angles, and without pushing in too far, so that we really got a sense of negative space in some of those instances. Yeah. And, and that, that was spoken right, right from early days as well, the, ne- the use of negative space, totally. And it's really challenging to, in all these parts, and make them look different, make them feel fresh, you know, because as much as the exterior of five huts, ten huts, whatever, can look um, different, once you're actually in them, they kind of feel very similar. Mm-hmm. So there was a huge attention to detail of, set dressing and angles and composition of scenes and like you say, not pushing in too close. Um, and again, that you know, Peter and Gabriel have a great working relationship and Peter's a pro. Yeah. Well, something else that you, that I think everybody should be applauding you on is your casting here. Number one, I have to say, Joseph, uh, mm. New Zealander, Joseph Nafahu as Ben Conahili. As the island leader, he is fabulous. He is fabulous. But the diversity of your casting, you're using, you know, Japanese. You're using um, islanders, um, you know, Hawaiians. This is true-to-life casting. 
And and I think every with the discussions that keep going on about uh, diversity within casting and how people try and anglicize uh, so many roles, you didn't do that here. Well, yeah, I mean, ultimately, we did have a, a misstep along the way, which we held our hands up to and, and admitted that we got a casting decision wrong mm-hmm. when we got some feedback. But I think we were... Uh, you know, we listened to what the feedback that we were getting and we're like, well, okay, we, you know, maybe we just were naive as, as kind of debut filmmakers, but we took a moment, regrouped and thought, you know what, this feedback that's coming back to us is correct. And then ultimately we were able to, like you say, cast the movie, you know, and, and better to reflect the ethnicity of the characters portrayed. Mm-hmm. And I think Joe is a Pacific Islander, um, is immensely proud of being a part of the movie. He's obviously an awesome actor. That's why he, yeah. why he got, the, got the gig, um, you know, and was in Game of Thrones and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, I think I think it went out on, you know, the movie comes out on Friday. So I think there's the kind of Instagram and social media machine is moving at the moment. <laughs> and I, I'm sure there was something posted the other day that was kind of Joe talk like, talking behind the scenes about, you know, just how much it means to kind of represent on screen. And mm-hmm. uh, Beulah Koali, who's another Pacific Islander, who's he's now in Hawaii Five-0, interestingly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, I think, I think it's not that often that there are, you know, strong, important roles for, you know, a, a kind of such a diverse cast Mm-hmm. Being able to cast, you know, Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders and Japanese people authentically in meaningful roles where they have, you know, proper character art, right? I think is um, is something that we were obviously very mindful of, and we wanted to wanted to represent that as best we could. And um, you know, we spent a long time looking for the cast for this movie, uh, and. Everybody's always got opinions on casting, you know, people out with the project as well as people within it. But, you know, it's an ensemble story as well, so you have to make sure everybody clicks. You want to believe that they're a village, and I think that we do that. And we have, like you say, an incredibly um, authentic, diverse, talented cast Mm -hmm. that delivers the story and and, and brings it to life. Yeah. That, I think, connects with people and... You know, we I took it over to the Hawaiian Islands in sort of second half of last year to show family ultimately that you know families of the the families on Nia, just sort of descendants of the families from Nia, um, to show them the picture because you know this film is nothing without their kind of approval or their um, endorsement because it's a global it has global. It's focused on a very specific moment in time. And I think I had about 250 family members in a cinema wow. uh, on the island of Kauai, which is, I mean, you can, you can literally see the island of Nihau from the front door of the theater that was shown it to the family. And, and um, you know, we, we got their approval. You know, one, one guy was telling me how his dad kept pointing out all the key points as we were going through the story. And, you know, there's a bit of humor in there as uh-huh. well with the island life and jokes that are made and, and, you know, the typical kind of small community tensions and people laughed at the moments we hoped they would laugh and people were kind of, you know, feeling tense in the moments we, we want them to feel tense. So, you know, it was, you know, it's incredibly humbling when you show a movie about real people to people who knew, like we showed uh, the gift to a guy called Guy Harris, who was Elsie's best friend growing up. You know that sort of, mm-hmm. sort of stamp of, you know, you guys have really told us from the right place, and we support you, and we're we're proud of you showing our story on screen. Mm-hmm. It's just you know immensely um, satisfying and 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 you know you humbling. Yeah, you know how did you and Gabriel? find the story of Nihau to begin with. I mean, it's not the kind of thing that you just stumble upon. 
Um, <laughs> so I'm curious how how you found how the two of you, you know, learned about this to even set you on the path to bring this to life. Sure. Well, I mean, he found it um, and introduced me to. So he's a uh, like we're both we're both sitting, Debbie. We're both kind of people that like going and researching yeah. history and truth. Um, he introduced this story to me, and I, I was just kind of, you know, trying to read lots about it, and my jaw is on the floor as I'm reading it, and like, you know, this is an incredible story. And um, so I had it, I kind of had it quite straightforward. He pitched it to me, and I was like, well, what do you think? Are we crazy enough to go and try and make this? And, uh, and we were, so... I, I don't honestly know how he found it. He's an avid reader and um, knows all these incredible stories mm-hmm. and tidbits of history and what have you. So, um, but again, it was a it was a kind of quote unquote World War Two story right. that you ha- we hadn't seen before. Yeah, so, definitely. And a, and a kind of perspective. So, I think once once I knew about it, it was about trying to reach out to people on the islands. And find cultural consultants and and just you know absorb as much information as as we could really um, so that we could try and build this real authentic world mm-hmm. around a true story. You know, I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious, uh, Ken. First narrative feature. You made the leap to first yeah. producing first narrative feature. What was the most challenging aspect? Of the, of over of this hurdle for you. Well, you know, I'm I'm the producer, so there's obviously kind of more of the kind of financing and business side of the of the puzzle that I deal with as uh-huh. much as the creative bit. And I take great pride in the fact that I enjoy doing the the business and the financing side of it as well as the creative bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know it's it's a tough marketplace for independent films yeah. because there's so much being made that you know the sales agents and the distributors have so much choice ultimately when you're still trying to put your mark you know make your mark in, in the world in the industry um, you've got to try and pick something that might stand out uh, that you're you know that's the story you're passionate about so I think Gabriel. You know, Gabriel has obviously done a great job with the gift. Um, you know, I think we made a great movie, so that helped. But it's, you know, he was still a first-time director. And mm-hmm. I think that fills a lot of industry veterans with, you Fear. know, a sense of kind of... <laughs> Fear. Yeah, ultimately, <laughs> this kind of, there's this wonderful phrase everybody uses. It's, it's execution-dependent. <laughs> and you're like, okay, so you're telling me to go away, make it, and come back and show you how well we did. Um, so, you know, it's tough to get a first-time first director's picture made. And, you know, I'm a relatively young producer. So I have this kind of previous life as an effects guy working for, you know, Kathleen Kennedy and Scott Stuber. Yeah, blowing you know, things big, up. Big, yeah. But... You know, when you're out doing it on your own, you've got to convince people you can do it on your own. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's tough. But I think, you know, I say to anybody, you just got to believe in yourself and double down, 100% commit and know you can do it and, you know, go and smash it ultimately. You've got to believe in yourself, right? That's the first thing you've got to do because if you don't believe in yourself, <laughs> no one else is going to. No chance. You so, know, uh, yeah. So it was a challenge, but I think the, I think we've come out with a great movie that is uh, entertaining and engaging and informative and respectful to the to the truth. So I, I hope we got it right. I think you got it right. Now, opening this Friday, the nineteenth, in L.A. and Hawaii. That's right. Yep. So uh, it opens at the Lamel Glendale in Los Angeles. And it opens across three of the islands um, in Hawaii at the Kailua Cinemas and at Kukai Grove Cinema, which is uh, on 
Kauai, which is really close to India. Mm-hmm. And it also will be at the Hawaii Theatre Centre, and it will also be at the Hilo Palace Theatre. Um, so the main kind of bigger islands are covered, Oahu and Kauai and the island of Hawaii. So, yeah, if people can can geographically get to it, then it was made for the big screen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's supposed to go live on Amazon Prime on Friday as well in the UK and the US. All right. So if people can't, can't get to Los Angeles or can't get to Hawaii, then uh, they should be able to find it. Uh, but I think that link just was live day it's released. That's how Amazon kind of works. Um, so... You know, if they if they search for it on Friday, hopefully they'll be able to find it. So, um, yeah, you know, it's 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 one of those stories that obviously we feel the heartbeat is in Hawaii, so mm-hmm. we want it to kind of emanate out from there. Yeah, um, the kind of uh, you know amazing, amazingly diverse city of Los Angeles also has a, a you know, fairly strong Hawaiian community. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to open there too, and then. You know, it was important to try and day and date release it so that, you know, wider America and wider can see it, yeah. the world can also get well, the story. Because we, we want to tell people this story, right? And it's an, impor- know, it's an important it's an important piece of history when you know the story. And it's because of this. It's because of what happened in Nehi. This is part of what contributed to the whole decision to create the internment camps in the United States. It was certainly one of those really one. early early things on that journey, yeah. Yeah, and, that was one you know, of the I factors. The, yeah, the, I mean, this was December 41. By February 42, um, the Navy intelligence branch had been doing all these kind of, you know, studies and research and, and reports generated. And, and yeah, and then by 19, I think it was 19th of February um, 42, that, uh, you know, Executive Order 9066, was um, was signed, you know, signed, and yeah. and called for the mass internment of Americans of Japanese descent. Just you know, and completely, um, you know, com- completely just broad strokes of if you're of Japanese descent, mm-hmm. you need to be relocated, forcibly relocated. It's yeah. just kind of one of these um, really regretful things that happened in history. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think that's. I think it's important to not forget that part of the story. Absolutely. Um, but I think there's also two sides to the story. You know, the Japanese pilot, Shigenori Nishikaichi, just wanted to get home. You know, he's almost a reluctant fighter pilot, if you kind of look into his personal history. Um, and, and he wanted to get home. And, and, you know, Japan, in his town where he was uh, buried, ultimately, um, he... You know, there's a memorial in his name because, you know, he's part of Japanese history. Mm-hmm. They're war dead as well, you know. So right. It's, it's, I think it's important to kind of recognize that there are always at least two sides to the story. That's, so, and, uh, yeah, that's exactly you know, right. And they're real people, ultimately. And that's, you know, we're all real people. We all make decisions we think are right or you know, want to help people and things get thrown in our way and challenges come up. And, you know, it's just a really interesting character study, you know, as well as a reflection on mm-hmm. history, I think. Well, unfortunately, Ken, we're all out of time. Are you going to be in town this week for the opening in L.A.? I will let you know my plans once you get off the call. I'll, I'll let you know. Let me uh, know. I think it's incredibly busy. It's opening. Everybody's getting excited. I'm getting pulled <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me know, and if you're in town, we will we will do our best to hook up in person. Yeah, cool. That would be great. Oh. And you know, appreciate your support and making the time for us as always. It's uh, great to chat again, and and you know, I'm really really thrilled you liked the movie, and and uh, yeah, you have the, the time to to fit us in. Oh. much appreciate for you, Ken. Always, you know that. Always. Ken, <laughs> thank you everything. so, so much. And hopefully I'll talk to you very soon. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks, Debbie. Okay, bye-bye. And that was Ken Petrie, producer of Enemy Within, opens in L.A. and on the Hawaiian Islands. 
this Friday, as well as on Amazon Prime in the U.S. and U.K. That is all the time we have today. Uh, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. (laughs) 